Amen. You guys have a seat. Well, good morning once again, and welcome to Burlington Baptist Church. Y'all sound great today. It is so good to see you. My name is Beth Claxon, and I'm the Children's Ministry Director here at Burlington Baptist Church. And we're glad you are joining us if you're here in our sanctuary to worship, or also for those that are joining us online. We welcome you. Now, if you're a first-time guest, once again, welcome. I'd like to encourage you to stop back in our atrium area at the starting point desk and fill out one of our connection cards. And now if you're watching online, you can also fill out the online connection card. Just click the link on your screen and it'll take you to the connection card. And you know, our connection cards are awesome. It's a great way that we can get to know you, but also anyone can fill out a connection card if you have a prayer concern or something that you need to let us know in the office. It's a great way to connect with us and to let us know of some way that we may be praying for you. Well, this is the month of December and it's almost at a close. However, as Southern Baptists, we have been collecting for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and we'll do so until the end of year. And the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is wonderful because 100% of the monies that are collected goes to spreading the love of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation through all of the missionaries throughout the world, and it is absolutely incredible. And I'd like to just say take a moment and to say thank you to all of you here at Burlington Baptist Church because we set a pretty hefty goal I thought of twenty thousand dollars and we have already met that goal but it is never too late to give and one thing I have found is you can never outgive God so if you would still like to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering you can still do so through the end of the year well let's continue to worship and before we do so I would love to lead us in a word of prayer so would you pray with me please Our most gracious Heavenly Father, oh, how we love you. God, please direct our hearts and our minds toward you. God, help us to remember that your gift of Christ Emmanuel is our greatest treasure, God. And help us not to only remember that at Christmas time, but that is true throughout the coming year and always. God, we just thank you for being with us through all of our seasons of life, through all the times of desperation and our weaknesses. And God, you're with us through those, but you're also with us during the celebrations. And we thank you for that. God, we invite your spirit now to be with us. We invite you as we lift our voices in praise and worship to you. And as Jeff brings a message as you've laid upon his heart, God, we love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand again with us one more time?
So I actually let the band, not the singers, the band picked the songs for today, and uh, they did a pretty good job. But uh, <laughs> they put—we've done this song about a hundred thousand times, and uh, 
the guy playing bass, I won't say his name, but he's like, what's that one song we play a bunch? Let's play that one. I said, which one? He said, that jazzy one, you know. I said, well, that dares it down. But uh, <laughs> we want you guys to sing along with us. Uh, we figured the last Sunday of this year, um, especially after this year, this is a pretty good song to sing um, as we head into the new year.
Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church, and Happy New Year. You've almost made it. A couple of weeks ago, Harold had reached out to me in my office, as he does. Usually that means, hey, come here. And uh, he asked me, he said, uh, would you be interested in preaching the last sermon of the year? And I told him, I said, you know, I would love to preach that sermon because I know that I can come up with a great title for the sermon. I don't know what the sermon's going to be like, but I can come up with a great title. And the first thing that popped into my mind was this. Goodbye, 220. And don't let the door hit you on the way out. Does anybody else feel that way? Twenty twenty. It's going to be remembered for a lot of things, and that just me saying that to you conjures up thoughts. The youth have heard me refer to this a lot over our summer and our fall, but I remember what it was like that March Wednesday night when we were sitting in our group doing Bible study, and all of a sudden, all of our phones started beeping, and the school system was letting us know that we weren't going to school for the next week or so. They just had a lot of illness in the outbreak, and there was a lot of questions and a lot of murmuring and a lot of things that people just didn't know about, and we still don't know a lot of things. But when you look back on it, we would have never imagined the chaos that would have been unleashed because we've had to fight this pandemic. It can make you very bitter, and it can make you very hard if you let 2020 direct your feelings in that kind of way. So today, when I actually sat down and I started to pin what I thought God was leading me to, the sermon title came out to be this, not an end, but a beginning. Because I listed a couple of things that went wrong for me. As we do as humans, we, we, we sulk and we bathe in the bad things. We had no spring break this year for the youth. And I remember every time that we turned around, it seemed like I was having to post or call the kids and tell them we were canceling something else. A hard one for this one. And I think about summer all the time, but there was no graduation. And our kids didn't get to walk across the stage and be recognized for the job that they had done. But it wasn't so bad for Summer because she got to drive around the speedway. And I think that that was pretty good. There were no mission trips this year. We had three mission trips from the church that were canceled. And even though that we were working very hard, even the last one, which was going to be down to Warren County, to do a vacation Bible school, we had to cancel. Funerals and weddings were something that were totally different. I remember going up to Lineman, and I remember going over to Alexandria and being a part of funerals, and the number of people that were there were very small. And it was really those instances when you noticed that you couldn't get together and be there for one another that really seemed to put a struggle on people. And even up until two weeks ago, when in pajamas, I performed a wedding right here with 20 people, and we gathered around at the reception, all 20 people around four tables spread out, 2020 seemed like it took some of the joy out of it. But I want to tell you this, that all in 2020 has not been bad. Today, I was supposed to be in the water with Johnny, and he was supposed to be baptized. Now, no fault of our own, the baptism yesterday decided to have a different idea, so we have to put it off a week. But in this week, we watched young people come to know Jesus Christ. We watched people of all ages come and join our church. 
it was crazy because Harold and I talked about the fact that we would come in on Sunday and we were still having visitors. And some of you know who you are. You joined our church and joined our family in 2020, and those things are to be celebrated. And we're so glad that you're a part of this family. But as we look back, we don't want to look at the end of 2020 and focus on all the bad things. We want to look at the good things that also happened. There really isn't anything that we can do about this past year. I do this to my kids all the time at home. They'll sit there and they'll whine and they'll cry and they'll be complaining about something else. I've done it maybe to some of you too. But while you're sitting there and you're complaining, my question always comes to be, what can I really do to change anything about the past? And the truth is, I can't. But I'm a historian by degree. And I was taught this the first day of my history class in college was we learn from history. And we have learned to do so many things this year. Some of you are online right now and you're watching the service and you're joining us that way. We are so happy that you still are a part of this service. And we feel um, the vacancy that you feel of not being in the house. But don't fear because we trust in the Lord. We know the Lord's going to work it out in the end. For those of us that are in the room, we've grumped and we've cried about the mask. I'm one of those people. But there's absolutely nothing that I can do about it because I know that I have to make sure that I'm caring about other people as well as myself. And we know that some of you have gone through the COVID and you've come out the other side and we thank you. And we know that there are people that are still facing it and struggling and we pray for you but there's really nothing that we can do to change what has happened so I started looking through some of my notes and in 2015 in one of my devotionals I came across a blog and it was a blog that was written um, from the Billy Graham library and it was the end of the year blog and it was talking about seven steps that you look at when you're looking at the new year. Now here is where I want you to relax. This is not going to last two hours today. And I am not going through all seven steps. But the things I want to share with you, the things that God's laid on my heart are truly the focus of where we need to be not at the end of 2020 but looking at 21. Because of COVID we have not been granted immunity from what we've been called to do for God's kingdom. We're supposed to still be out in doing his business, and that means sharing and loving on people. In this blog, there was a statement, and it was a statement that really rattled me. The statement was, if we don't know who we are, we will never know how we ought to live. It went on to say that if you have given your life to Christ, you are a new creation. And then listen to this statement, whether you like it or you know it or not. And I started to think about that. How many times as a Christian have I been going down the path and knowing that when something bad happens, I start to stagger a little bit? But that statement reminded me that even in the bad things, that I can't lose focus on the fact that I was saved and I was changed. And so were you. That we have been called to a mighty family, and we should celebrate that every day. And I know that when you guys walk in here, that it is so great to see one another because I see the way that you greet each other, some with your mask on and you're still smiling underneath of the mask. Some of you, uh, you go over and you give that holy handshake or that wave from a distance. You see Danny do this every once in a while from stage, trying to hug everybody or Danny. But in that moment, we can't lose sight of the fact that we have a new life in Christ. And I don't know about you, there are a lot of days that I really battle with that sometimes. And it's been harder this year. Because I haven't woke up and felt too much like a family. 
first piece of scripture I want to share with you tonight is, or today is 2 Corinthians 5.17. And you guys have read this before, but I want you to read this with me. We're going to read this together. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. If at any time in your life you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, he's gone nowhere. And through this year, we have moved through, and sometimes it might felt like that we were trying to trudge through these days ourselves, but Jesus Christ went nowhere. As I read that verse, I'm reminded of our relationship that we now have with God. God created a relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. And just a few nights ago on this stage, when I read the Christmas story, it reminded me of the fact that that act of Jesus coming down to earth was God bridging that gap. And now we have a created relationship that can't be undone. We can't be plucked from our father's hand. We are his children and we're reborn into a family, and it resembles a lot like this, but it's so, so, so much bigger. When you think about our brothers and sisters around the world that are worshiping and loving that same Heavenly Father. So let's talk a little bit about this relationship in our new family. Our relationship with God wasn't always a good one. Harold touched on this the other night. There were times when we, as human beings, were separated from God. In Ephesians 2.12, the scripture tells us that we were without Christ, foreigners to a covenant of promise without hope and without God in the world. Now, most of you know what has happened in my household over the last month, month and a half. As a Perry would do, little Isabella decided she wasn't going to miss Thanksgiving. Even though she couldn't eat the turkey and the stuffing, there was a meal being prepared. And I'm sure that as Brooklyn was around talking about Thanksgiving, it had to be the one thing that prompted Isabella to make an early arrival before Thanksgiving. But here's the thing about it. And you that are grandparents, you know this, and you tried to tell me this, and forgive me if I was sarcastic or, you know, and unbelieving, but I'm going to tell you this, that the moments that I cherish now aren't with my real children, are, <laughs> some of you did warn me about that too, you don't care about your kids anymore, you just go right to the grandkids, but no, sitting there and watching that small face of Isabella and realizing that that relationship and being a part of our family now has changed us for all eternity. The Perrys will never be the same. Praise the Lord. No, <laughs> but as we sit there and we look at her small face and how much she eats now and watching her in a month and how much she's grown now, and I can hear Kendra in the middle of the night holding her or Brianna holding her downstairs as she's crying out. As I hear that while I'm laying in bed. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Okay. I understand that she is loved in a mighty way. And she's cherished in a mighty way. And it's the same way that God looks at us in our relationship. He loves us in a mighty way, and he cares for us in a mighty way. And it's really the only kind of love and the kind of relationship that you can have with a Heavenly Father that would bring us through what we're going through right now. And there have been a lot of things in this world where people didn't know and questioned the fact of whether they were going to survive. Being a part of God's family should work in the same way. What I mean by that is, it's just not relying on God to love us immensely. But you guys, we're supposed to be out there loving each other the same way. And I'm not just talking about the people that are in the house. I'm talking about the people that don't have a relationship with God. People that haven't been taught 
how much he loves them and shown that kind of love. We have a job to do. And we can't just set that job down and say, I'll get back to it when all this is behind me, when I'm feeling better, when I've got more energy. It doesn't work that way. Because we would be in bad shape if God said, I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to take a day of rest. But that's not what Scripture tells us. It tells us that he promises to be there for us all the time. We need to be focusing on a life that we left behind us and know where we came from, but we need to celebrate the life that we have now. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just by a show of hands, how many people are happy that that statement is made? And it doesn't matter how far we might have been away from God, but by the fact that we trust in Jesus Christ and we put him in his proper place, that now we don't have that same kind of fear. And our relationship in our new family has been established. And we should cherish that. So now you go into being a part of the family, being adopted by God, and you move straight into the living in that new kingdom. You know, when I sit there and I think about this year, there's a lot of things that we've talked about and angered and fought about and screamed about, and I'm not going to rehash all the stuff that we've been over. But when you sit there and you are so focused on politics that you are not focusing on what God is going to have you do, there's a problem. And we might not feel like justice has been served, but I'm still called to pray for the leaders of my country. And sometimes that's a hard thing to swallow. But I want you to understand that in Scripture, it talks about that. It talks about the fact that we are dual citizens. Did you know you had dual citizenship? You have a citizenship that is in a heavenly kingdom that we're all going to celebrate and be a part of one day. But while we're here, we still have an earthly citizenship. And you may never have thought about it, but when we accept God's grace, we are part of a kingdom with Christ as the head. That means we aren't calling the shots. That means that we don't know better than God, even in times when we think to. But until that day comes, we need to join together where we are right now. And we are expected to be citizens not just citizens and living through the motions here, but be good citizens and loving and caring for those people. Because every person that you disagree with, every person that you have contempt for, every person that it seems like they drive you up a wall, here is the secret, and I've learned this too late in life. I wish I would have learned this young. But each person carries the same soul that I do meaning that they are as important to God as I am. Therefore, when I accepted that citizenship and I know that I'm going to the kingdom, my job is this. This is the youth minister statement that I love to make. I am saved and I am here to take as many people with me as I can. And guess what? It's not just me. Because if you're saved, that should be the battle cry from you. That you're not just saved, but you're here to take as many people with you as you can. I have faith in God that he can make our heavenly kingdom big enough to accommodate everybody. So it's not to me to pick this person, this person, this person. That is between God and that person. But my job is to bring them to a point and let them see that when you're a Christian, that you truly go above and beyond all the stuff of this world and you love them in that kind of light. 
That's what living in the new kingdom needs to be about. I'm challenging myself, and I have a challenge verse that I took from those seven that I read back in that blog, and it was from Revelation 11.15. And Revelation 11.15 points out that all kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That means this, that this place one day will be a part of God's kingdom. I will never be the person in control. I will never be the person calling the shot. Believe me, you don't want me to. I have enough time navigating my own life. I have figured out how not to have to change a diaper. But I have enough trust and enough faith in God that that kingdom is going to be everything that he promised and so, so much more. Remember, this is what Jesus Christ was trying to reveal to the disciples. He was trying to get them to understand. You don't understand what's on the other side. And when they finally started to it, you heard statements of martyrdom and about the way that they were willing to sacrifice their lives to make sure that message goes out. And you know what? We have people from our own church that are doing that right now. I told Beth, and I think I told Harold and maybe Joanne the other day, we were kind of sitting around talking about, we were talking about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And I don't know if this is true, but I think the real push behind it is this year is because our church has missionaries on the field. We know them by name. They send us messages like we saw last week. They're talking and they're out there doing it. And I think that that needs to be a motivating factor for us. And you know what? Good for us. But we don't need to sit here and applaud the people that have gone around the world. We need to be that same kind of missionary where we live. And I bet you guys can think of someone that is in your life, somebody you work with, somebody you know, somebody in your family that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And my question is, why aren't you a missionary to them? Why aren't you inviting them to the kingdom? The future, it's about bringing new purpose and new power. I think that 2020 has made us make changes, and I'm not sure these changes are going to be altered or the short-term decisions, the way that we handle things, hopefully we will never have to fight over toilet paper again. But we're fueled by the Holy Spirit who urges us on each day. And in your relationship, you should feel the Holy Spirit moving through you. In Acts 1-8, Jesus reveals to the disciples and to us as believers that we will receive a power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, there is your definitive job description as a Christian. When that Holy Spirit is a part of your life and you're following the direction of your God, there is what we're supposed to do. And even though Burlington wasn't listed even though Florence wasn't listed, even though Walton Verona or Bellevue or Petersburg wasn't listed, even though Hebron wasn't on that list that he made that statement, it is inferred, and we need to understand that that seems to be our Jerusalem and our Judea. It's all our points of the earth. And in 2021, we don't need to be sitting around worrying about what happened in the past, but we need to be planning and praying and on our knees and preparing through discipleship and getting ready because when 2020 finally lets loose and we're past a little bit of this stuff and we can get out and do it, we need to be on the ground and out sharing Jesus Christ. So your preparation is this. Oh, oh, oh Jeff's not saying wait until 2021. Your preparation is this, go home today and start talking to them now. List those people out. Start praying for them daily. Pray for them by name. 
Know the people that are in our own family that are doing struggles right now. Reach out to them. Be that kind of compassionate, loving family member. But we are called to do so, so much more. But unless we have the power through the Holy Spirit, we will never be able to see that purpose fulfilled. And that's where we lose it a lot of times as Christians. We figure we can just do one more thing and create one more program. Baptists are notorious for that. But we need to sit back and let the Holy Spirit be the director of that. It is incredible to see how the power of the Holy Spirit can lead us through something. I wanted to share with you a story real quick about Admiral James Stockdale. If you were in the military, there's a chance that you know this person, you've heard this name. If you've done any kind of reading history, you know who this person is. But James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton. And it just so happened by his rank, he became the um, head of the prisoners. And a couple of things happened there. When the prisoners were in the Hanoi Hilton, they developed a form of communication. It was just clicks, taps, all those kind of things. But they came up with their own alphabet, and they could understand and talk to one another. James Stockdale, because he was the leader... He was expected to keep the men under control, but instead they ran, they ran an underground. And they were always doing a little bit to try to find uh, ways to escape, to affect the outcome of the war from where they were. Because he was in his position as the lead of all the prisoners at the Hanoi Hilton, he had to suffer atrocities. They would drag him in and they would beat him mercilessly. And as they would do that, there were times when he would come out and he wouldn't be able to feel parts of his body. And when he was sharing with reporters and talking about that thing, he said there was one time in which he was punished so badly and so severely, he didn't know if he was going to live. He had hope that he was going to live, but they came dragging him out after beating him. And he said the only thing that really saved him in the moment was... Across the compound, he could hear someone. He said he wasn't sure whether they were snapping a towel or hitting a pipe, what they were exactly doing. But he knew what they were saying. The person on the other end was tapping out, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And he said in that moment, he doubled his efforts in understanding that he wasn't alone. And that he could face this, whatever they bring about. And our old friend Ken Holland used to tell me like this. He used to say, hey, what are you going to do, threaten me with heaven? And I have to think that in that moment, no matter what was coming his way, it's that, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I do my duty for my men. And I'm going to put my faith in it. So later, after he was freed, he was doing an interview. And a reporter asked James Stockdale, he said, how did you do it? How did you survive such a horrible place at a horrible time having people doing things to you? And this is what he said. He said, I survived because I never lose faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that I would get out, but that I would also prevail in the end. And he said this at the end. He says, I turned that experience into a defining moment of my life. Do we have that same kind of faith? When our struggles and our struggles are done, do we feel the Holy Spirit when he's saying, God bless you. We love you. We're walking beside you. Or do we just hear it and just pass it off as a different noise because that's exactly what God does to us he constantly talks about it and it's what gives us that purpose and that power and I like to believe those of us that have a personal relationship with Christ know that we're able to face the difficulties and even this pandemic because of how the story ends I've gotten to say that a whole lot during this year you read the back of the book how many of you read Revelation this year? Read the back of the book? Who wins? 
Amen. Who's God's children? Do we win? We do. So in this world, they can threaten us with anything else. They can throw pandemics our way. They can do all this stuff. But in the end, we need to be out telling other people, come and join us because in the end, we guarantee a win, which is more than Kentucky can do right now. <laughs> Had to do it. So many things we struggle through. My last point is this, that our destiny and our journey it can all be summed up in Romans 6, 23, and you guys know this one. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your decision to follow Christ isn't an end, but it's a beginning. And at the end of 2020, it's not the end of a horrible year, but it's the beginning of a journey in 2021. We have a job, and the fact that we have been saved to serve should really, really, really excite us that God would choose us to work with him. So if you do it this week, if you make New Year's resolutions, make that New Year's resolution to get off the sideline. And it might seem strange for me to sit here and tell you that while this is going on, and you have the governor and everybody else telling you, separate, separate. There are more ways than one for us to do this. But what I'm telling you is get off the sidelines. Don't just come to church on Sunday morning and sit in the chairs. Don't just find yourself a part of a Bible study, but instead get in there and find a way that you can grow the kingdom of God. Take everybody you can with you. Because there are so, so many people right in our own neighborhoods, right around this church that don't know who Jesus Christ is. I heard a staggering statistic this morning. I got up and I was downstairs by myself. In the background, I heard the radio and it was, a, it was an evangelist and he was speaking. And as he was talking about it, he was talking about that now in the schools, if you ask a student if they believe the Bible is the word of God, he said the statistic is now down to 18%. Now, here's the one thing I've learned in 32 years of youth ministry. Students are only affected by the people that are around them. So who does that fall back on? That falls back on us. And as Christians, we need to make sure that they understand that this is the inerrant word of God. If my God can create something that looked like Saturn the other night up in the sky, which was absolutely beautiful, he can protect his word so it means the same today as it did 2,000 years ago. And we need to hold on to that. So my last thing is this. And the youth heard this, and I apologize to them for doing this story, but I loved it. Gentleman, our pastor, his name is Wes Fowler. He's down in Mayfield. The other day we were in our executive board meeting online. Anybody else learn how to Zoom this year? And we're doing this meeting, and before we started, he goes, let me tell you a story. He goes, he says, I grew, or he says, I served in a church in Homersville, Georgia. Does anybody know where Homersville, Georgia is in here? Does anybody know where Waycross, Georgia is in here? There's a few. Yeah, see, I went to a bigger does anybody know where Valdosta, Georgia is? If you've ever driven to Florida, you can't miss it. Well, between Valdosta and Waycross is a little town that's called Homersville. Homersville is one of the best places on earth, and I love it. It's only a spot in the road. But when he started telling this story, he goes, he says, here I am, the pastor in Homersville. And he says, Homersville is the blueberry capital of the world. Want to know where your good blueberries come from? They come from southern Georgia. Perfect soil, just like peanuts. I mean, you know, and everybody thinks about peanuts when they think about Georgia or peaches, but blueberries come from there. And he said, and there came this time when their church and all the people in their church worked in the blueberry industry. And he said, 
three men showed up at the church one day and he says, oh, pastor, he says, we have a crisis. And he said, what is it? And he says, we have the best blueberries we've ever had and more than we've ever had. But we have a problem. He said, last week they had a cold spell down in Florida and the workers that come up from Florida haven't been able to get their work done down there and now we don't have anybody that's coming to pick the blueberries and blueberries have very timely you have to pick them within a certain period of time so the pastor said well let's get down and start praying so they started praying and every night at the church they would meet and they would pray in one of those times a man came in and he was all excited and he says pastor he says our prayers have been answered he says they're coming he says they've gotten their work done in Florida and we're going to have the best blueberry harvest that we've ever had he says it's so wonderful Wes said that he stood up on the pulpit and he preached a sermon he said it thought it was so fitting when he preached this sermon he was talking to all those workers out there that could appreciate what happened to him he says now you know what scripture says that the harvest is ready but the workers are few when you start putting people's faces in their eternity in place of all those blueberries it starts to mean something and guys this pandemic isn't our excuse as Christians just to say we'll let somebody else do the work for now and we'll get back to it when we're a little bit more comfortable God has created new avenues for us we've, we've gone digital, we've gone online your phones still work the pandemic did not take down all the towers. I can see because some of you have already been doing this while I've been up here preaching. So we have the capability to communicate God's love with everybody else. But I'm going to close this year in our last service by having you stand up and join with me for a word of scripture that you all know. We are all going to say John 3.16 together. Because it is the one thing that causes or gives us the commitment and the security and the promise for what we are supposed to do. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Guys, we win. We win. Take all I have in these hands and multiply. God, all that I am and find my heart on the altar again. Set me on fire. Set me on fire.
second. Kim Ford is going to come up in just a second and lead us in a matter of business that we have to do. Um, if you're online and you're watching the service and today you have questions or you have maybe made a decision or you're praying about it, please reach out to us. Uh, you can put something in the comment, call the office this week. Um, we'll be in the office, but we'd love to talk with you. If you're in the house today and uh, you just know that this upcoming year you're going to need prayer you need anything don't hesitate to let us know because it's our pleasure just to be able to serve one another and uh, it's what god has called us to do so ken end a service just like a baptist would end us in business meeting